Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 72 of the Stomp the Bus Show. I am your host, Mark Harris, coming at you solo for this episode. Colton has some uh, school duties he has to take care of, so he will not be joining me this episode. Uh, to start out with, I'd love to thank Justin Toscano for coming on the show last episode. A lot of fun chopping it up with him just about the big picture aspects of ASU athletics and what the future looks like. Great to have someone on who's uh, just as big of a fan or uh, masochist, <laughs> sadist as the rest of us following ASU sports. Uh, yeah, it was just very cathartic. And as, as Justin said, it was a good therapy session for him. Um, so great to have him on the show. We'd love to have him back at some point. We will have another guest next episode, next week. Uh, we will be joined by Sun Devil Radio, oh, I'm sorry, Sun Devil Hockey Radio Play-By-Play -play announcer, Tyler Paley. Uh, he broadcasts the game for Fox Sports 910 as their play-by-play -play announcer. He was actually just up in Fairbanks, Alaska for ASU's series against Alaska Fairbanks. And, you know, he's actually someone who Colton and I were on the same floor with freshman year back in uh, back at Taylor Place back in the day. So, uh, you know, we've talked about ASU men's hockey uh, off and on here on this show, but it's going to be really good to have Tyler come on the show and give us a full um, in-depth breakdown of what's going on with the team. Uh, they play, they host Long Island University on Friday and Saturday this weekend. And then after that, they, they head back to Alaska to play University of Alaska Anchorage. And that'll be their last regular season series of the year. So it's very important for them to win these games to get themselves in the best position possible uh, to make a tournament bid for the NCAA tournament. Remember, they take 16 teams. So you don't, you don't get, the, get all this wiggle room. Uh, so anyway, really happy to have Tyler coming on next week. That should hit your feeds Wednesday night, Thursday morning, whenever we get to it next week. And I'm really excited because there's a lot of, you know, there's a lot of fun storylines with ASU hockey this year. And then there's a lot of fun storylines with them, big picture wise, moving to a new conference, uh, growing as a program. I think one thing we've talked about on the show is how ASU hockey is, of all the team sports, it feels like they are the strongest program in terms of wins, uh, continuity, um, just overall brand. I would say they have a pretty good, you know, in the college hockey space and uh, money as well, investment. So uh, it'll be really good for uh, Tyler to come on here and just kind of give us the rundown on ASU hockey and, you know, what it looks like for the rest of the season and what it looks like going forward. So we're really excited about that. Well, Speaking of some not so exciting things, ASU men's basketball, they had a very roller coaster ish uh, three games since our last episode. When we last recorded, it was uh, Wednesday of last week. This is three days after the blowout 105 to 60 loss to Arizona down in Tucson. Um, just a gross performance. And you know, on Wednesday night against Arizona, they did not not show up. You know, you could tell when you watched that game, ASU showed up, they came to play. This was not an effort issue. It was just an everything else issue. It was 
too many three-point shots by not good enough shooters, stagnated offense, not enough size. ASU basketball 2024, baby, all these issues that we've seen. Um, so it's weird because this, this past uh, week of ASU basketball, just in terms of their like competitive, just watching them on a play-by-play -play basis, it's been but one of the better weeks, but they're one and two in that stretch. And of course, their one win is against Washington State, who's ranked, beat them by like 10 points and looked like the better team on that day. You know, and a lot of it was probably due to Washington State having a letdown factor after they beat Arizona and Tucson two days before. Undoubtedly, undoubtedly, that's ASU absolutely benefit, benefited from that, but they at least cashed it. You know, they at least made Washington State pay for it. So um, before I kind of, I'm kind of just analyzing all these three games as one instead of talking about specifically the U of A game because. Obviously, that's the most recent one, but all these games are important. So you start out on Thursday of last week, which would have been the 22nd, obviously. And they, they're hosting the Huskies, and it's ugly early on. I mean, people were booing at halftime. The team, there was no competitive effort at all. Hurley, there were some shots of him on the sidelines. His face was beat red with rage they yeah they trailed 45 to 24 at halftime <laughs> and uh they actually trailed by 25 points early in the second half so much so that with about 19 minutes left in the game Hurley sent in his son Bobby Hurley the third <laughs> into the game uh along with a bunch of the other reserves and for whatever reason that kind of just sparked a uh don't even try right now ESPN. Okay. That, that sparked a run by ASU basketball. Kamari Lands had one of his better games of the season. He hit like three threes in a row. Finished the game with, uh, I think, 11 points, which that's good for him. And I, I'm, I'll get into this in a bit. But you want if he, if he returns, you want him to at least build up uh, some good level of play before he comes back. Anyway, they fight back. They make it a tie game. Frankie Collins breaks the single season steals record in that game. Although he, he does miss, sorry about that. He does miss uh, some crucial free throws at the end of regulation, but ASU was still able to tie it, go to overtime. They can't get it done on the last play of overtime. Hurley draws up a pretty good play uh, where they give, they kind of inbound it right to Sean Phillips. It's probably, like three feet away, just puts it up and it doesn't go in. And Washington wins 84-82 in double overtime. It would have been a horrible loss for Washington because they led by 25 points. And ASU came back. I think they, they did take the lead uh, late in the game, but obviously not by enough. And it's just – that's that's just a really tough win – loss and it shows it's just kind of it showed that loss shows exactly what this team is and that when they're playing together and they're playing well and they're playing with defensive intensity they can beat a lot of teams they can win games but when they don't show up like they did in the first half it's disgusting it's ugly and that's what's killed them in so many of these games and then you get the good part of it the next game against Washington State they play a complete game their best game of the year I would say 
um, basically lead throughout the game, you know, uh, win 73 to 61 against clearly the second best team in the Pac-12. And, you know, guys play great. You have opening the ESPN box score here. Um, Gaffney with 11 points, one of three, shooting three as well. Uh, Selim Bongay, nine points off the bench. Perez, 16. Collins, 14. Miller with 12. It was just a very complete performance. And it's one of the that's – a, that's a game that really shows how much ASU is underachieved throughout the, en the en entirety of the season. Because if you're capable of beating Washington State and beating them by 12 points – and, you know, they led by seven points at half. This was a – basically, ASU was in control the entire game scenario. If you're capable of doing that, then how are you also capable of losing at San Diego, losing at home to UCLA when UCLA was not playing well, losing on the road at Oregon State, losing at home to Stanford, getting blown out at home by Cal, you know, that's what's frustrating. And it probably wouldn't be the difference in going to the tournament, but it would be, let's say you win all four of those games. You win San Diego, uh, Stanford, Cal, Oregon State, and UCLA. That's five more wins. You would be 19 and 10 right now instead of being 14 and 15. And you'd be higher in the Pac-12 standings as well. So being at 19 and 10, Maybe they'd be a fringe tournament team, but they wouldn't really have any good wins. So they they would be like one of the teams that got left out. But that's a much better place to be for ASU basketball than being 14 and 10 with, sure, if you beat USC and UCLA on the road uh, this next weekend, then you can finish 16 and 15. But I don't think that's going to happen. I think you're almost certainly going to finish the regular season 15 and 16 overall. And that's obviously not good. And so... You know, that game against Wazoo and then the game against Arizona where you played them tough, I would say. I think that's the most charitable way to describe it. You were down 14 at half, claw back in the second half. I think they cut it to about 12 points or not sorry, 12 points, five points. They cut it to a five point lead for Arizona points in the second half. But it just wasn't enough. I mean, you could tell watching the game, Arizona is better and there's no, you know, I'm not even diving in, into that part of it, but you at least made, you know, I was at uh, desert financial watching that game. You at least made the Arizona fans there sweat for a little bit. And considering what we saw in Tucson where they got blown off the court to a comical degree, you can kind of take that, you know? And the thing is like, I go into ASU basketball seasons baking in the fact especially if you know U of A is going to be like a one seed type of team, two seed type of team like they are this year, you just kind of bake in the fact that they're going to lose to them twice. You know, last year was the exception because, I mean, you won on a three, four, three quarters court shot to win the game by one point. And it was a great win. Like I'm not, you know, it was one of the funnest moments I've had as a Sun Devil recently, but it, there was a, some flukiness in there. There just was. Okay. And so, you kind of pulled that one out of your out of your rear end still counts 
And that win probably was the difference in you getting in the tournament last year as opposed to not. So it will always be a big win for me. But it didn't, it, it didn't show that like, oh, the gap's closing between these programs. It's not. It's widening right now. So, you know, just kind of, it's just the roller coaster with ASU basketball. You get, they can play well at times and then, you know, they, they just run into an opponent like U of A and it's just not going to work. And I mean, you look at the box score, like Arizona shots, that's load. I know ASU shot like 35% overall. So there, <laughs> you can run the, run the full court press all you want. That's not going to work. Uh, yeah, 35% exactly. U of A shot 54.2%. Uh, and there were times in this game, I mean, Umar Balo had a great game, 14 points, 13 rebounds, 6 of 6 shooting. And it was frustrating because there were many, many points in this game where it was Balo on the floor and Sean Phillips Jr. wasn't out there to defend him. Ryan Selabange wasn't out there to defend him. And I get it, like, those guys aren't the best players and like, it's, it's only doing so much against a guy like Ballo, but you have to have someone out there. You can't just have Alonzo Gaffney guarding him. And, you know, I, that's, that's the biggest coach. I mean, aside from like, you know, the offensive issues, obviously, like that's a given with this ASU basketball team under Hurley, but just like in terms of a specific lineup decisions, uh, Phillips and Silabonga didn't play enough. They played a combined 23 minutes. And that's just not enough. That is not enough. Um, so there's that. And then you add in, I get why he started Trey Hurley um, for senior day. I do understand that because it was all, uh, everyone who started what was a senior. I don't, so Neil and Collins aren't seniors. They started, but Gaffney, Perez, and Hurley started. Zane Meeks was honored as well, but he was, you know, been injured this whole year. So I get playing him, but playing him for four minutes, uh, I just don't, I mean, maybe it didn't really impact the actual game, but like, that's just too long. You can't, you can't have him out there for four minutes. That's just, sorry. And then another thing, I mean, Gaffney, you know, he is a lightning rod among ASU basketball fans, but this game, three of 10 from the floor, two of nine, three point shooting. You know, he just takes too many three-point shots for how good he is as a three-point shooter. You know, it's it's just – that's just how it is. And so, um, you know, this is, what it, this is what it's like for ASU basketball, ASU men's basketball this year. This is just what it's like. And after, you know, the, the Washington – you know, the game against Washington and the Washington State win – I was like, yeah, you know, I'm a little bit more okay bringing Hurley back. And even after Arizona last night, I'm a little bit more okay with it. But I, it's only, I'm more okay with it than I was before. And so it's like, ultimately, I still stand by the opinion of if we had, you know, a competent athletic department right now, then Hurley would be gone. And I think most of the fan base is totally okay if Hurley left. Uh, I did... I did see, I think it was on Desert's Desert Digest, uh, <laughs> Devil's Digest, Desert Digest. It's probably like a magazine in Scottsdale or something. Um, on Devil's Digest, it was a press conference, you know, a clip from the press conference um, on Wednesday night 
And it was basically Hurley saying, you know, I'm, I'm proud of the effort this team played with. You've seen other teams with bad records uh, kind of pack it in for the rest of the season, something along the gist of that. And there were some DePaul fans quote tweeting it like, oh, he's definitely seen some DePaul tape. So the, you know, the rumors of him potentially taking another job, those are still there. And I would, you know, I, I don't, I think most ASU fans would be like, that's totally fine, man. It's totally fine considering the state of this program. Um, but here's my thing. Ultimately, ASU doesn't have a, a, an athletic director right now. And it doesn't look like it's going to have one until May. It seems like the earliest and also the most charitable, uh, the most generous estimate for the school to have an athletic director. And it, it seems unlikely even in May. So if and when there is a Bobby Hurley departure, that would be very bad for ASU men's basketball. Not because Hurley's leaving, because you have nobody. You, you, who's going to hire him? The next coach. Who's going to hire the next coach to come in when there's no athletic director? Michael Crow? I don't think so. Is Jim Brun, the interim athletic director, going to make a long-term hire for the men's basketball program as their men's basketball coach? That seems unlikely. So really, we can all say we want Bobby gone or we're okay with him leaving. And in a for a normal school with a normal athletic department that you know has an athletic director, Michael Crow. Uh anyway. <laughs> For a school, you know, just like in a normal position in terms of their athletic department, I would be totally fine with Bobby either leaving for another job or getting fired because this season hasn't been good enough and there hasn't been enough. It's just, it, it feels like it's time. But since that's not the case, right? It is not the case. ASU has no athletic director. Michael Crow isn't going to make this move most likely. If that's the case, you kind of need to have Hurley come back. Right. You kind of need him to come back because if he comes back, then I imagine three out of four of Frankie Collins, Jemiah Neal, Adam Miller, and Sean Phillips will return. Because let's remember, Sean Phillips and Adam Miller both just transferred in from LSU. And Adam Miller had transferred in, had uh, transferred before, even before he was at LSU. So he almost certainly would stay. And Adam Miller is by far the second best player on this team. And just in terms of skill, I mean, Adam Miller is good. He is a good player. I, I really like watching him. It just His offensive game is just so smooth. Uh, every time he shoots a shot, it, it looks like it's going to go in. Um, he's, very, he's just a fluid athlete. I really want him back on the team. And I would imagine that Frankie returns as well. He seems to really like ASU. Uh, he didn't put his name in the portal and then come back. So I think... I, he's probably also the best compensated of them. Uh, it feels like he is that way. I mean, he does have his own, um, you know, Frankie Bowl that gets served at Desert Financial Arena. So he's got to get some money from that. Uh, I, I would be surprised if Frankie is gone if Bobby returns. Um, and then Phillips, Phillips, I don't know. I mean, maybe he transfers again, but it seems unlikely after he transferred in last year. The biggest flight risk is Jemiah Neal, understandably, because he put his name in the portal last year, then came back. I really like Jemiah Neal. Um, he's 
maybe the most fun player to watch on this team. And it, his athleticism is just eye-popping, honestly. If he leaves, it wouldn't – I don't think it would hurt the program as much as if Collins left or Miller left. I just I just don't. So – it, it it would it would it would be a blow. Don't get me wrong. He's a good player, and you want him on the team. But if I had to pick between one of those four, I would pick Neil as the most likely and the least detrimental, if that makes sense. So, and Phillips. Look, I get that Phillips hasn't like really contributed that much or been that productive, but you can like his body. He's huge. Okay, and like you just ASU just needs a guy like that. Like especially with what we think the NIL situation is with their men's basketball program. Um, I think it, it'll be really important to have a guy like him back. He's just too big. Selim Bongay, you know, he's a good uh, energy guy. He's listed at 6'8". I don't think he's actually 6'8", probably closer to like 6'7". Um, good, you know, like power forward. Like he's a useful player. But Phillips is a legitimate center. He's legit seven feet, feet tall. So you want him back. Um, you lose Gaffney, you lose Perez. Those will hurt, uh, particularly Perez. I mean, Perez is not – I mean, he leads the team with a set 41% uh, three-point shooting, and he's just crafty around the rim. So he'll be missed, but he's not, like, irreplaceable. Meeks is gone. Bryson Long, who it was revealed earlier this week, also on – Devil's Digest. I almost said Desert Digest again. Uh, that the reason for his, you know, missing all these games this year is because he had a seizure back in December. And so he's been recovering from that. He's He'll be able to play next year. So he'll be on the team. Good shooter. He'll be important to have. Kamari Lands, you don't know. I just, I don't know what the, like, NIL value of him leaving will be. Um I think he does serve a purpose on this team. I don't think I don't think he's as bad as he's played this year. But I also like it's not like he's going to be the difference in them making the tournament next year either. So I, I would love to have Kamari Lands back. Meeks is gone. Malachi Davis, he was the JUCO guy who transferred, and almost I really doubt that he'll stay. And then you have Akil Watson and Braylon Green, the two freshmen. Um uh, Green's played a bit more. Watson is a bit taller. I think Watson was the four star. And then you got the uh, highly rated recruits coming in as well. Um, if you can keep, let's go best case scenario. Let's go Miller, Neal, Collins, Phillips, Selimbongay, Lands, Long, Watson, Green, and then a few of the freshmen. Maybe you, I, I probably like one or two of those guys doesn't stay, but. I don't know if that's a great team next year, but I, I it, it is at least a competent team. And it will also be a very good judge. It will be a very fair team to judge Bobby Hurley on, you know, because you have some continuity, right? You you, you can't play the, oh, we, we don't have any continuity card. It's like, no, if, you know, if, you know, a good chunk of these guys return, you will have continuity. Not from a great team, but you will have some continuity. Um. And I think in that scenario where you have to bring Hurley back because you don't have an athletic director, you don't have a reasonable replacement, then I feel okay heading into next season. 
but I still don't feel great. And I still think the, you know, ideal scenario would be having AD in place so you can fire Hurley and then hopefully like hire Ethan Musselman. Uh, what's his name? Eric Musselman. There's a kid growing up. I knew named Ethan Musselman. So uh, Eric Musselman from Arkansas. There's rumors about, you know, him trying to leave there. They're not having a good season. I've had, you know, I've multiple friends say like, oh, we need to get Musselman. I don't know if that's even really like an option. Like, does he really want to come here just because he was an assistant coach here once upon a time? Hopefully. I mean, if he does, then you get him. I just, I just don't know why you want to come here if you're muscle. I just, I just don't get it. Especially if you don't get fired by Arkansas because Arkansas has a better job than ASU. So that's where I'm at. You know, I, you know, I haven't seen anything that I'm like, Oh, we need to keep Hurley, but it's like, there's no one to fire him and there's no one to hire the replacement. So in that, in under those, you know, conditions, you kind of have to keep him. And there are some benefits of keeping him, but you also know what you're getting. And at this point, it's not that great. So we'll see. Um, and I mean, another thing with Hurley is, and you have to, he truly cares about the program and he truly wants to win at this program. And that is really important for ASU, for any ASU sport, but especially ASU basketball. Okay. So I don't know. And, you know, the, I listened to Brad Sesmat's recent podcast and he mentioned again, I always heard that Michael Crow, uh, the rumors about Michael Crow retiring. So, you know, maybe the new president wants to update Desert Financial Arena. Maybe they hire an athletic director that, you know, wants to do that as well and shares the same, you know, ha has a bigger passion for basketball. And so we'll see how that goes. But yeah, it's just just a tough place to be as a program because you're stagnating. I mean, well, this year you didn't stagnate. You got worse this year. You you got materially worse than you were last year. Um, and now you can you just you you might bring the coach back, but it's out of apathy by the administration, for lack of a better way of putting it, because they just aren't caring about the basketball program at all, right? They just aren't because you would have an athletic director in place by now. Okay. You just would, or I don't, or Crow wouldn't have taken so long to retire. I don't know, but that's where we're at. So it's, it's uh it's not a great place to be, but if I will say like perfect world, Hurley's departs the program at either he leaves for another job or he, you know, is, is fired. That's not happening. It, it doesn't seem like that's going to happen. And if it does happen, it would be him leaving for another job. So you kind of have to keep him for one more year. And the benefits of keeping him is at least you get some of these decent players back who are here. All right. Um, we're going to talk about some ASU football stuff about where they're predicted to finish in the Big 12 next year. But we have some other news and notes to get to first after a fun discussion about ASU basketball. So ASU hockey, they fell in the USCHO hole down to 20 after splitting two games in Fairbanks, which is not what they were looking for. They lost the first game three to one and then won the next game four to three in overtime 
it puts them at 21, seven and six overall, which like I said, is good for 20th in the USCHO poll. Being ranked 20 in any other sport is good. In hockey, it's good, but not good enough because there are 16 spots in the Frozen Four tournament. So always keep that in mind when you see the ranking. Um, not, you know, I didn't, I wasn't able to watch these games, but not, you know, obviously when you're playing a team like Fairbanks, you need to go two and zero in that stretch, and they didn't. They they went one and one, and uh, I got a report here from College Hockey News that uh, wasn't great about their loss too, as well. So you go one and one, not great, but it's, it gets worse because after towards the end of the first game, Arizona state defenseman Tucker Ness came out of the penalty box to join a fight. And as a result, ASU coach Greg, Greg powers is suspending him for the remainder of the season from all team activities for the rest of the season according to College Hockey News. I'm going to read the report right here. Ness and Alaska's Dawson Bruneski left the penalty box to take place in the fight with 11 seconds left in the game. They each received two-game disqualifications with carries and automatic three-game suspension. Both teams have four games remaining on their season. Power took the additional step of suspending Ness for the rest of the season and said his status for the future is being evaluated, quote, there is no place in college hockey for what happened, Powers said. The ASU player who left the box was suspended indefinitely from all team activities immediately after the game. There is a difference between something that may happen in the heat of the moment and what did happen, and we are taking our player's decision to leave the penalty box very seriously. So long story short, this went, you know, went a little bit beyond the typical hockey uh, Donnybrook, as it were. I'm not going to be, I'm not going to pretend to be, you know, hockey unwritten rules guy, but it does seem like there is an extra level of uh, badness. I don't know of, of unsportsmanlike play when you leave the penalty box to join a fight. So I do say this, you know, I think this, this move shows the powers really as comfortable where he is in the program uh, has a very, you know, high level of control in the program. And I think that's, that's good that he has the power to do this. Uh, I mean, it's not good. You, you never want, you know, a defenseman gone that just, that, that limits, you know, what you can do for the rest of the season. So not an ideal weekend, but also not a completely disastrous weekend either. You could have lost both, both games, I guess. So, um, and they're still at 20th and they have four games remaining. As I said, they, host Long Island uh, this weekend and then head back to Alaska. So there is a chance of them finishing, you know, 25, seven and six to end the season. And we'll see where that puts them. So and we'll be able to talk about that more with uh, Tyler next episode. All right. Another quick hit. Um, ASU wrestler, Kyle Parco named the NCAA wrestler of the week. Congratulations, Kyle, uh, for a good performance. ASU women's basketball in um, the last week, lost at home to Cal and Stanford, and then lost by a large margin uh, on Thursday, the 29th at UCLA. Also not great. Um, you know, we don't really talk a lot of ASU women's basketball on this show. 
not because we're not interested in the program, but because the program has just been really bad this year, <laughs> worse than the men's program. And that I, that's not even debatable, actually, which is sad. Um, so hopefully Natasha Adair's squad uh, kind of rounds into form next season in the Big 12. ASU baseball. So we talked about their win over Kansas State with Justin last show. Turns out that win kind of important. Um, they went two and two against Ohio State after that. So had they lost the K-State game, they would be four and four instead of uh, five and three, which they are right now. This is kind of a disappointing series. Not just because you you know lost two out of two, but or two of four. But more so, I mean, the pitching really only had one good game, and that was on Friday. They won 14 to four. Thursday night, you lose 11 to four. Saturday, you lose 13 to four. And on Sunday, you win, but it's 10 to eight. And even against Santa Clara, you win 14 to 13, lose 14 to 13. That's not good enough. It's just not. That level of pitching is not good enough. And it, it could really get exposed even more this weekend at the uh, Kubota College Baseball Series in Arlington, Texas. They are scheduled to play Texas A&M tonight on Friday. Um, then they play TCU the next day. And then they play Texas A&M again on Sunday. I don't know how good Texas A&M TCU are, but I know that if you're getting lit up by Ohio State and Santa Clara, you're probably going to surrender a lot of runs to Texas A&M and TCU as well. And that is scary. So, I mean, I, I'm, I'm glad they're, they're able to kind of just keep their head above water, I guess. They're five and three. I can't really complain too much. It's just I expected this team to be a little bit more well-rounded. Um, one thing that could help them, though, is outfielder Nick McClain is cleared to play after suffering a preseason hand injury. He was named preseason All-Pac-12 and an outfielder. Had a great season last year. The key is he's cleared to play. or He's cleared to play. That doesn't mean he's going to start all these games. So I don't know how much – of an impact he'll actually make, but it's good to have him back, especially when the pitching is struggling as much as it is. So we'll keep an eye on ASU baseball this weekend. Their games will not be televised, but they will be shown on flow sports. So that's a pretty, pretty uh, large enough uh, service to share those games. And then actually on Tuesday, the fifth, they stay in the DFW to play at Texas Arlington. Um, the Texas, the UT Texas, Ar oh, UT Arlington Mavericks. So they'll stay in the DFW for four total games. Um, if they can go three and one in that stretch, get to eight and four, I would be very happy. That would be good. Seems kind of like a lot to ask for right now, though. So we'll see how ASU baseball continues to play throughout the season. If they get the pitching just squared away a little bit. They don't, it doesn't need to be wholesale improvement, just a little bit. Then this team can really win a lot of games because the offense has consistently shown up. So I'm, I'm fine with that, but 
Need to see the pitching improve sooner rather than later. All right. Getting into some small football stuff here. ASU actually added to its 2024 recruiting class by picking up defensive back Nico Clem from Southern California. I, I believe he is the brother of Jalen Clem, who transferred from Washington, offensive lineman. And I believe uh, their coach is on staff. I'm going to look that up as I'm talking right now. But getting Nico Clem, you know, doesn't change, you know, anything big for ASU football. It gives them 20 high school recruits. And the one thing it does change, I guess, is they do move up a little bit in the uh, 24-7 composite rankings, up to number 48 overall. You know, it they added a three-star defensive back. So, like, that that shows you how little these rankings or how uh, fickle these rankings can be, especially down in the, the meat of it in the middle. But it's good to be, you know, just for perception, it's good to be a little bit higher. You don't have to click the extra load button to – to get down in the second level of fifties, uh, but yeah, it's good to have another defensive back and it actually moves you up in the big 12 uh, recruiting standings as well. Texas tech, Texas tech still up there. TCU, UCF. Those are the clear top three, um, 236 points, 213 and 212. ASU is at 199.47, and they're technically seventh overall. But BYU is ahead of them at fourth, uh, total at 203.08. They have 26 commits compared to ASU's 20. And ASU's average recruiting uh, rank is higher than BYU. So I would say ASU had a better class than BYU. BYU could argue against that. You have 26 commits, six more guys. Uh, Kansas in the mix with Kansas, they're like less than one point or I guess one point behind West Virginia, who has 22 commits and almost the exact same recruiting average ranking. So you're ahead of Cincinnati by three points. So you're clearly ahead of them. So you, you are in the top half though. That, that's a really good spot to be in after three and nine record. Your ASU's football brand has also taken a hit as well. So um. Yeah. Okay. I'm looking up the stuff about Clem. I th their father is named Adrian Clem. Um, I should have looked this up beforehand. Okay, Nico Clem. Yada yada yada. Oh, let's see who did they beat out. Uh, the Southern California, Southern California offers from Oregon, BYU, West Virginia, and Hawaii. So they beat out BYU, West Virginia, Oregon, and Hawaii for. Clem, that's a good, it's uh, a good get. Okay, so Adrian Clem, who was the offensive line coach for the Patriots, um, in twenty. Okay, was the offensive line coach for the Patriots in twenty twenty three, and he was Oregon's associate head coach in twenty twenty two. He is now the run game coordinator for ASU. So Adrian Clem. Run game coordinator for ASU brings in his son, Jalen Clem from Washington and his other son, Nico Clem from Junipo Serra uh, in Southern California. So 
just, I mean, another smart addition to the coaching staff as well as the recruiting class as well for Kenny Dillingham to his brother. Yes, they are brother and father. Okay. Wanted to be absolutely sure on that. That was a kind of a long-winded uh, <laughs> explanation for Nico Clem just to, you know, recruit. But every recruit matters, and you never know if he could be the one who makes a big play down the road. So happy to have him and smart hiring decision by Kenny Dillingham because that's two players, you know, offensive linemen and defensive back at, you know, valuable positions that probably wouldn't have otherwise been here. So there you go. All right. Um, da, da, da. Last uh, small little note around football. The ASU spring game has been scheduled. And it will be on Friday, April 26th at 6 p.m. at Sun Devil Stadium or Mountain America Stadium. Um, I really like having it on a Friday night. I do. It's easier for the students to get to. Not that a lot of students are going to go, but if you're like some bored freshman on Friday night, 6 p.m., it's like this, you know, conflicts with like your parties or something. You can easily go to, you know, Mountain America Stadium, watch some football. And what I really like it from is they did it after Pat's run last year. And it was a good... um it was a good decision from the intent, I would say, but the execution, it just didn't work out at all the way. Dillingham expected it to, and th there were more people there than previous spring games, but there weren't that many people. There. Um, because what happened was on the Pats run last year, which I did, it's early and it was early in the morning and the ASU spring game, I think it was like at noon and that's a whole three hours extra that you're just, expecting people to stay around in Tempe and wait for the game after, you know, they just go to the, uh, Pat's run. And it, I, I understood the thought process behind it to have it on that day at that time. I did. It just didn't work out in execution. And I think this is a much better strategy, you know, a Friday night, 6 PM. It's not going to be too hot. And it's not going to be like you're baking in the sun either in the middle of the day. It's going to be, you know, later in the day. Uh, so I really like that. I, 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 you know, and this doesn't matter at all, but I, it's just better than, it's better than trying to uh, loop it in with Pat's run. So there we go. All right. What will that ASU team that plays in the spring game actually look like in the fall? According to the odds makers, it won't be looking good. That's for sure. Uh, basically, every win total for ASU this upcoming season has them at about four and a half wins. So I get why they're low. They deserve to be low. They've gone three and nine the last two seasons. I think they will, I would be surprised if they won fewer than five games. Five and seven seems like a very likely outcome for this team. Um, I could very well see this team going five and seven. Below that, I just, 
they're just not going to be as bad as they were last year. And I know, you know, I'm, I get it. I'm wearing an ASU hat. I'm an ASU guy on this podcast. I understand their roster just didn't have enough depth last season. They couldn't kick a field goal at one point against Washington because they ran out of guys. They didn't have enough big bodies to block or block for the field goal attempt. So they, I, I don't remember if that was the uh, decision that led to the pick six or if it was a previous play before that. doesn't matter. It shows how limited they were. And especially when that team got hit with a few injuries, it really showed just how, <laughs> excuse me, how thinned out their roster was by the end of the season, uh, particularly in the games against Utah, Oregon, and Arizona. I mean, it was just uncompetitive because you just didn't have the guys and the defense that had played well just was too injured. And it was just, you know, you just couldn't do anything about it. So I say all that to say with all the transfers they brought in and not every transfer is going to hit. I understand that. If you just bring another wave of guys in, you don't really have that many people who are leaving, right? A lot of the guys who are leaving were obviously aside from Jalen Conyers, BJ Green, Jordan Clark. And I'll throw an East Side glass there just because he started, but I, I would put him a peg down between those three guys or up below those three guys. Uh, other than those guys, most of the, all the guys who left are, you know, were backups. And, you know, maybe, you know, other than like Deshaun Mallory going to the NFL, what I'm saying is you return a lot of key players you return most of the key players on offense all your quarterbacks are coming back plus sam levitt uh wide receiver rooms in good shape running back room is in very good shape i wouldn't say the offensive line room is in like fantastic shape but it's in better shape this year than it was last year at this time especially with bull getting more uh, playing time last year ben coleman who they brought in last year's transfer class, he barely – he was injured for the whole season in a pre preseason injury. So that's another guy you're getting back. You bring in uh, Joey Sua, Sean Na'a returns after a decent freshman year. So you have some building blocks on the offensive line at least. Defensive line, there's a lot of good players coming back. Um, overall, I just – I'm sorry. I just don't see this team winning four games. I don't see it going under the 4.5 total. Another thing is ASU pretty much lost all of its 50-50 games last year, or at least it's 50-50 games against uh, Power 5 competition, because I guess you could say they won. That Southern Utah game was way closer to a 50-50 game than it should have been. I kind of put an asterisk next to that one because there was the huge dust storm that rolled in and ASU just didn't play with the same intensity in the second half and they were still able to win. And that's just kind of a weird game. Right. But then you look at the 50, 50 games that they lost, the close games that were on, they were on the wrong side of. Um, let's close out this window. They lost Colorado by three points game winning field goal to win the game that could have just missed. It's a college kicker. That field goal could have just missed. And who knows you're in overtime, right? At Cal. If anyone watched the game at Cal, I think they lost that game by three points as well. ASU was in that game the whole time till the end, and their punter like went out there with an injury on his foot, and it showed. So 
that was a winnable game. And then the game at Washington, that was, if anything, that was a game that ASU should have won and didn't. And they were on, they were on the wrong end of that one too. So that's three 50-50 losses right there. The reason I bring up these 50-50 games is you're going to be in some 50-50 games next year where either team could win. There's not like one of these teams is way better than the other. Maybe the bounce of the ball just goes your way in two of those three games this upcoming year, and you get to six and six because of that, and maybe you're not even that much better of a team. But I do think that's uh, something to look for, some positive regression on 50-50 games. And I'm, I'm the, the Washington State win for ASU, that was not a 50-50 game. ASU was the better team in that game, one by 11 points. You know, against UCLA – on that game in, you know, November 11th, I remember that because it was my birthday. That's the only reason I remember the date. That day, ASU was the better team. And they wound up winning by 10 points. So any game you win by double digits, I don't care. What, that the ASU was the better team in those games. So I don't count those as 50-50 wins for ASU. And heck, you could throw in the Oklahoma State game as a 50-50 loss for ASU. I, I think Oklahoma State was clearly the better team in that game, so I don't put that in the same category. But Oklahoma State was the second-best team in the Big 12, played in the Big 12 championship game, and they didn't look like they were that much better than ASU in the second week of the season. Now, they did give the ball to Ollie Gordon much more later in the season, and had they done that earlier on, that game probably wouldn't have been as close, but they didn't, so... Um, I guess what I would say is like four and a half wins. I just, after seeing that, I, I get why the odds makers have it there, but I do not, I, I, I would go with the over on that. I'm not saying, you know, I'm not saying they're going to win the league or anything, which the odds makers really do not think that's going to happen, but four and a half just feels feels low for the level of competitiveness ASU showed last year with a worse roster, a more limited depth chart and a tougher conference last year. The the 2023 PAC 12 is better than whatever the big 12 is going to have this upcoming season. So I think, you know, those factors bode well for ASU winning at least five games this year. Um, we have some conference championship odds as well for the Big 12. ASU is also low in those. Uh, I have seen two, one from FanDuel that has ASU tied for second to last. Or maybe they're just solely in second to last with Houston and BYU behind them. ASU is listed as plus 10,000 to win the Big 12. On FanDuel, I would not take that. Uh, and then on Bet Online AG, which is a offshore sports betting site, uh, Kansas State is the favorite at three three to one odds. Utah's second, seven seven to two odds. ASU second to last, one hundred to one odds only ahead of BYU. So why do I bring both of these up? Why do I bring the win total up? Why do I bring the uh, low odds for the Big 12 championship? Why do I bring that up? 
I bring it up because it shows how ASU is coming in very, very under the radar into the Big 12. And I think that's kind of a good thing. I kind of like, I think ASU at this point, <coughs> scratchy throat, needs to operate in the shadows. That's just how it's got to be. There's just been too much dysfunction, bad headlines, fan apathy, mismanagement from the athletic department and the administration. Um, and let's throw in some bad luck as well. And an NCAA investigation that hasn't officially been resolved, by the way. So all of those things. Um, I, it's it's kind of nice just coming in under the radar. ASU teams will not be taking ASU. Um, they'll be taking lightly. They will compared to, you know, if you're scheduled to play Utah or Kansas State or even Kansas this year, you're going to be ready to go. Like those are teams that finished ranked last year. Uh, all of good quarterbacks returning. And there's a reason why they're so high up in the odds. Good coaches. ASU is just filled with unknowns. You know, people of all the, of the four Pac-12 teams coming in, you know, Utah comes in with uh, being the most successful of those teams, the most successful program, arguing arguably in the Big 12, I think it's them or K-State. Uh, their fans didn't want to come in. They talked a lot of crap about the Big 12, a natural enemy for the rest of the conference. Obvious storyline. Colorado, Deion Sanders, you know, an upset. Obvious storylines there. Arizona had a better season than Utah last year, won 10 games, beat Oklahoma, which all the Big 12 fans love. Arizona fans really wanted to get into the Big 12 uh, during this whole process because of the basketball. And they're bringing, bringing a good team back as well. They're going to be one of the better teams in the Big 12. They probably won't win it, but they could. They very well could with Fafita and McMillan and uh, I believe their cornerback Takario Davis returned. That was a big one for them. They did lose some guys, obviously Jonah Coleman, uh, Price Sog up to Washington. But they come in with like coming into the Big 12 after one of their top like three football seasons in their school's history. The Wildcats are not coming in under the radar. The only Pac-12 team coming in under the radar and very under the radar is Arizona State. And they have a chance to surprise some people this year. They do because teams, you know, just aren't going to be taking them that seriously relative to their average foes in the Big 12. And if you look at the newcomers of the Big 12 last year, none of them did well other than I would say UCF did do well by going six and six. I would say that's a successful year in your first year in a power five conference. But Houston did not do well. Cincinnati really didn't do well. And BYU uh, went five and seven, but it was a flimsy five and seven. Like it was one of those five and sevens where they won all their close games. And then when they lost, they got blown out. Right. So <clears throat> all the reason those teams didn't do that well is because they had group of five rosters. Right. They had group of five rosters. And, for, and UCF had the best version of that because they just had better athletes and a decent quarterback in McKenzie, or not McKenzie Milton, uh, John Reese Palmer, much better athlete than Milton. Um, ASU, for all the issues it has, is not coming into this conference with a group of five roster. 
especially not after the recent portal additions. You've got a ton of guys who've transferred in from, you know, blue blood-ish programs. And that, like, even if they may not, you know, even if Clayton Smith didn't start Oklahoma, he can play well at ASU. Prince Dorba didn't start at Texas. He had, like, six sacks for ASU. LaTerrence Welsh didn't, you know, maybe wasn't playing at LSU. We'll, we'll almost certainly play at ASU. You get some, some of the guys from uh, New Mexico State transferring up. That's good as well. And there's other a bunch of guys I'm not even mentioning. Um, Clem, I mentioned J Jalen Clem at Washington. Joey Sua at Arkansas. You have these guys. These are not group of five players. And so that's why I think ASU coming under the radar is really good because people think that, oh, they're just this bad team, which, and they have 100% reason to think that. Okay. I'm not, I don't expect every fan, opposing fan, or even ASU fan to be like super dialed in with a roster. Right. But this is not a group of five roster, or if it is, it's like Boise State level or Fresno State level or whatever. Um, so, I'm I'm excited for you know I'm excited for coming in under the radar I really am and I think if this team it, Justin predicted seven and five I'm not going to go there but I think six and six is a very reasonable reasonable prediction um, and if if ASU goes six and six that probably means four conference wins you get four conference wins that probably means a few upsets here and there. And that's a really good start for the ASU football program, if it happens. All right. Well, thank you for listening to this episode. Uh, we touched on a lot of things. Uh, voice kind of went out there. It's whatever it is. It's much harder for me to do these uh, solo, but it's all good. We'll have Colton back on the show next episode. And of course, we'll get into the, to the nitty gritty of ASU men's hockey with their radio play-by-play -play voice, Tyler Paley on the next episode of Stomp the Bus. Thank you for listening. Please rate and review on your podcast platform of choice. Like and subscribe on YouTube. And as always, go Sundogs.